the question I ask myself is, can we fully service this lead? Do we have access to adequately price this? Do we have buyers in that area? Do we, you know, sometimes it's a small town with 400 people. So if we cannot maximize the profit on that lead, it's time to look for a JV arrangement. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. Are you sick and tired of managing 10 different platforms to run your real estate business and spending premium prices on all of those platforms? Well, then look no further than Wholesaling Inc.'s tool of the month, and that is RE Simply. RE Simply is not just a great CRM for your wholesaling leads, and it is not just a great dialer for your cold calling, and it's not just a great skip tracing service. It is so much more than those things. RE Simply will allow you to do things like list stacking and automated drip campaigns, like following up with motivated sellers, with emails and texts and ringless voicemails, and even direct mail campaigns. These guys haven't left anything out and even have their own driving for dollars app. This is truly a one-stop solution for all of your business needs. RE Simply will not only simplify your life, but it will absolutely streamline your entire real estate business. And save you not just a ton of time, but a boatload of cash. We recommend a lot of different tools to get the most for your money, but RE Simply has no equal. And for a limited time, if you go to resimply.com forward slash wholesaling inc, you will save 20% on your first month. To take advantage of this incredible discount, again, head over to resimply.com. That is R-E-S-I-M-P-L-I.com forward slash wholesaling inc. And stop wasting time jumping around from platform to platform and start spending your time where it counts, doing more deals. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey there, and welcome back to the Wholesaling Inc. podcast. I am your host, Grace Mills at the REI Radio 2.0 program. Uh, Today, I really wanted to take a second to explore something that will come up as you get established on radio um, that can be really beneficial to your business, but it may be a little bit more difficult initially to try and navigate. When you are on radio and you're getting yourself established and people hear you a few times, Believe me, they're going to start to think you can solve all of their real estate problems. Your ad probably will not mention their issue specifically or or hit on you know their pain point or talk about them specifically. But after a while, they're going to assume that you can solve or at least you have some sort of connection to a solution that can help with their real estate problem. That creates a great opportunity. As these leads are coming in, they're always highly motivated, right? Whatever their situation may be, they're highly motivated to make a move and get something going. And so that's a great thing. But it definitely will test you as a business owner and as a wholesaler and as an investor, um, because maybe it's outside of your literal area of where you service, or maybe it's stretching your area of expertise. 
either way, it is a great opportunity for your business and also for you to start expanding your knowledge and also expanding your network potentially. And that comes up a lot, you know, as Krista is dispositioning leads. And I know we talked to Krista before about dispositions in general, but we definitely wanted to have Krista hop back on uh, to help us understand when you should know what to do. Uh, well, hey, do I refer this lead out because it's not in my area, because it's not in my uh, you know area of expertise, or do I set up some sort of joint venture? Like, how do I handle that process? Where do I pivot? So we definitely wanted to have Krista back on. This comes up a lot as she's dispositioning you know uh, leads. Uh, but Krista, uh, do you mind uh, you know just hopping in here and, and giving us any feedback on the basics of that? So part of being the dispositions is making sure that every contract we get we receive maximum profit from. But that also follows over to leads. Some leads we cannot service. Maybe they're in another state or maybe it's a retail transaction. So those leads still have profit potential. We have to make an effort to find them the right home so we can get the maximum profit. And those leads fall into two different categories, JV and referrals. Referrals tend to be really easy. We had a radio lead call us. He was a trucker. He was driving through Dallas. He heard us on the radio, but his mom's house in Oklahoma, they were ready to sell. We didn't have any interest in doing business in Oklahoma, but it was a retail sales. They were not working with an agent. So we reached out to another brokerage and created the introduction. They got the listing. They sold the house. We got 25% of the agent's commission. It took us 30 minutes. We made a couple of thousand dollars and we didn't waste the lead. But that's a really good example of how out of area radio lead happens for us. And sometimes they are looking for a retail transaction. And if they're in our area, we're very lucky. We have a brokerage side. We make a connection between one of our agents and the lead, and we maximize the profit from that lead as well. So we can service wholesale as well as retail leads. And whereas not everybody is able to do that, and not every wholesaler is licensed or has access to a brokerage. So developing a relationship with a local agent, they'll love you. They will bend over backwards to make everything happen because you're going to be feeding them retail leads. Nice. That's exactly what I was thinking is, hey, you know, if you're in a situation where you don't currently have a relationship with that, and and this may be a silly question, um, you know, for anyone that's like starting this for the first time, how should you go about creating those relationships? Do you start on Facebook? Do you you just like cold call them up? Like, is there something you should be saying specifically? Is there something you should be on the lookout for as you're developing that relationship with them? So as wholesalers, we run into agents all the time. And just like anybody we meet in business, some people we click with, some people we don't. So, you know, you meet those people that, you know, you guys have a good conversation. You just make a mental note and then you call them up, say, hey, you know, I've got this lead. Are you interested in a referral? Again, they're going to bend over backwards because you're bringing them a referral, especially if it's a listing referral in this market. There's plenty of buyers there's not enough listings. (laughs) So it just, you know, you could meet them through Facebook, through networking events, or just people. um, We have a lot of buyers who are actually agents. Uh, They um, may 
have clients who are investors, but we have a relationship with them. And other wholesalers have relationships with agents, just normal business. And it's just someone that you feel comfortable giving your lead to. And of course, there's paperwork to make sure you get paid. But you want that lead, again, to have the best customer experience possible. So you're not going to hand them to somebody you don't like or you don't have confidence in. But you'll meet those people as you do business. Mm, that's a really, really, really good point is, um, you know, you you may go, hey, I don't have the expertise or the ability to service this lead, but I still want to make sure that they're taken care of and they're handed off to someone that can actually help with their situation. Is there something specifically though, as you're reaching out and building relationships with agents that you should be on the lookout for? Like, how would you know, maybe their personality seems great and your conversation seems perfectly fine, but is there anything that you can look for as a sign to be able to really trust doing business with them? Like, is there a certain, should you be looking for a certain type of agent? Should you be uh, listening for certain responses to questions? Or is there a series of questions that you could throw in to ask them to kind of fill out their, if they are truly an expert on their, on that side, is there a certain number of years maybe that they should have underneath their belt, the agent as the investor, the wholesaler, who's kind of, you know, trying to build out relationships with agents for the first time should look out for? Well, we have MLS access. So if you have MLS access, you can look at um, what agents have sold in your area. You know, do they only specialize in a certain neighborhood? So they're not going to waste their time if it's in the wrong neighborhood. So maybe for that lead, it's not the right person. But I also look at agents' listings. Are they honest with the description of the house? Are their pictures professional? Are they professional? And, you know, we live in an environment. If someone had a bad experience with you, they'll put it on the internet. Look for reviews. You know, if several people are saying, I felt like they didn't get me the best deal or they wouldn't answer my phone calls or I had to get another agent because I felt like they were untrustworthy. People are very vocal about bad experience. And that's why we always want to make sure our leads have the best customer experience. Okay. So maybe the number of years isn't as important as you um, at a minimum making sure that you're not ignoring like red flags that are probably already on the internet about that potential agent. Okay, perfect. Because I, you know, I would wonder if it's better to maybe work with an agent that's a little bit newer, who's trying to get themselves established or, or is it best to work with someone that's a little bit more seasoned? But I'm betting that um, even if you were able to start a relationship with someone that's like a newer agent, uh, you still want to make sure that you can trust handing that lead to them and they can actually really take care of it. Rather, it's a newer agent or if it's someone that's seasoned, it's still, are they trustworthy to go, hey, if I hand this lead to this individual, is the lead actually going to be taken care of? Because you're right, if that lead has a bad experience, it can still be a bad uh, look for you know the wholesaler or the investor as well. A lot of people who become agents worked in a real estate agency or they have you know title experience or something. So unfortunately, years as an agent doesn't always truly reflect their skills. And they may have insight that could really help um, your lead. If I like somebody and they've always been fair with me, you know, we run into situations all the time that maybe a client had a listing agreement, but then came to us and didn't mention they had a listing agreement. But we had a 
situation like that. And the agent called me and said, why are you trying to sell my house? And we got through that and we became friends because she was honest and she was fair. She knew it was her client and we worked something out so we could both profit. And that's really what everybody wants. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay. Um, now, what I am curious, right? If I'm the investor and I'm the wholesaler, and to be honest with you, I'm trying to connect my lead with an agent. Is it inappropriate or slightly unethical if I'm honestly like throwing the same lead to maybe a couple of agents at the same time? Because I don't know who has the ability to close or how does that work? Should you really be focused on developing relationships with a couple of agents, but maybe pitch a lead to only one at a time? Or do you like, is it inappropriate to like, Hey, like I'm throwing this one lead out there to the three agents I have a relationship with. And that kind of depends on the relationship. In general, I try and give someone like 48 hours to reach out to the lead, to set up a listing appointment, to do what they need. But if the lead didn't hear from them, we need to move on. We still need to maximize our profit off that lead. But I would never say, give it to five agents at once and let them battle it out. Because that, unfortunately, they're calling and the lead gets overwhelmed and they just totally back away. I can understand that definitely. And thank you so much for clarifying that because, you know, I'd imagine like you're just, you're maybe looking at it and going, I just need to make sure I move this lead, but you still want to be delicate in the way that you're doing it. Because again, yes, that couldn't overwhelm the seller who reached out to you for help and is now expecting, you know, a phone call or some sort of form of communication from, you know, that agent to be able to take care of them and it could feel very spammy if they're getting overwhelmed with phone calls or communications from too many people at once that they're not even, they don't even know, right? Exactly. Okay. Oh, yeah, that definitely makes a whole lot more sense. Now, as you are kind of, uh, you know, as you're dispositioning a lead and, you know, let's say again, like you're, you're uh, the trucker who is out of area, um, what specifically is involved and should be really like included in a referral agreement? Like, you know, as you mentioned with the agent, you usually try and give them about 48 hours. So do you communicate certain timeframes? Is there like, what should be included in that referral agreement? Timeframe leads information and clearly up front what you expect as compensation. Unfortunately, you cannot leave everything just by a verbal contract. We do have a referral contract. We fill it out. It's nothing major. It just says, this is the lead. This is what you're going to owe me if you sell this house. So it's very basic. And it really depends on what state you're in. You may have to cover some other bases. Texas, that's all we have to do. Okay, that that makes sense. Now, uh, to your point about the time frame, uh, because again, if I'm setting this up for the first time, how do I know that I'm not? My expectations are a little too high, like they're not realistic, right? Is there 24 to 48 hours should be okay? Is five days, you know, to you know, for that agent or whoever I referred it to to touch base before I move? Like, how do you set that expectation on what the time frame should be for yourself so that you can communicate it to whoever you just referred the lead to? Our acquisition managers are calling leads within 24 hours. Hopefully it's much less than that, but you know, it sometimes takes a little couple of calls to get a hold of somebody. I expect the same from an agent. 48 hours, if you have not reached them, you're not going to. When I talk to a lead, I say, you know, I'm not able to help you myself, but I do know this person. They're wonderful. They talk up the agent. And sometimes I do an introductory email between the agent and the lead. And then I'm part of that email chain and I see what the progress is. 
but I'll call the lead and say, hi, I was just checking in. Did Samantha get a hold of you? If they say no, I said, let me try and three-way them in. Or yes, we have an appointment and just take it from there. I'll touch base with the lead. I'll call the agent. Did you get a hold of them? No, they're not answering. Let me call and see if I can get them to pick up the phone again. Because it's in my best interest for them to get that listing so I can make sure our company gets paid. Mm, that makes perfect sense. I like that a lot, is uh, especially on the uh, fact that you'll still step in to maybe at a minimum connect them via email just so that the seller is prepared for who's about to reach out. So yeah, yes. I, I definitely can understand that. It, I'm sure that can make the seller feel like they are being taken care of, that they're not waiting for a random phone call. They know who to expect that communication from roughly. Awesome. Yeah. So is there anything around the referral program? Like again, you know, anything that you've seen uh, just in, in your experience, if there are like common mistakes that you or like mistakes that you made really early on that you're like, oh, now I know better. Or they're like common mistakes as, you know, because you talk to a lot of other agents and other, you know, investors and wholesalers um, who are jumping into it for the first time. Are there any common mistakes that you're seeing that they're making initially on just with the referral uh, before, you know, you pivot and, and, and talk a little bit more about JVs? So with referrals, we make sure that we have explored every option that we can't make that property work. Because again, we make more money if we write a contract and sell it to one of our buyers. So sometimes people automatically see something and think, well, that's a retail transaction. I can't do it. You need to explore. Talk to the lead. You know, maybe you can't see it right away, but maybe there's some severe repairs, which, you know, we're able to do better for a cash price so our investor can buy it, make the repairs and get that equity. So you have to really dig down and make sure that you're not turning that lead loose too soon. Got it. Okay. And uh, just like one last thing on the referral side is, you know, just like you were thinking of how to set an expectation in terms of a time frame, how would someone know where to price themselves at to get paid out on a referral? Right. Like if I'm sending this to an agent, is there any sort of like rough percentage or any way that they any system they should be following to go, hey, here's roughly where you should be pitching yourself at to um, you know, get paid? Or is it, you know, completely up to them uh if it's a percentage or some sort of flat fee that they can whatever, you know, amount that they're comfortable with as long as they communicate it? We normally say 25% of the commission. And that seems to be standard in the real estate industry for referrals. So we've just adapted that and kept that. Usually on a referral, we don't do a flat fee. We do a percentage because if they make more money, we need to make more money. Perfect. Okay. Because that's exactly, you know, I can imagine someone again, who's just doing this for the first time may think that, oh, maybe I just come up with a flat fee just so it's it's something simple, but you could be, you know. Yeah. You don't want to leave money on the table. (laughs) by setting up a flat fee when you could have played with the percentage to really make sure you you do walk away with a handsome you know profit uh, <laughs> it's still there so <laughs> that makes perfect sense now where is the line though with developing a re- like what's the difference like how would i know to refer this versus a jv is there something that you look for or anything like a radio lead calls in and yes it's out of area or outside of my expertise like where's my line on going I refer this or I actually create some sort of joint venture? So for me, the question I ask myself is, can we fully service this lead? 
Do we have access to adequately price this? Do we have buyers in that area? Do we, you know, sometimes it's a small town with 400 people. So if we cannot maximize the profit on that lead, it's time to look for a JV arrangement because we also don't want to flood our buyers list with properties they're not interested in because then they'll quit opening them. And we also don't want to disappoint the seller. So if we decide that we cannot fully maximize this lead, we look for a JV. And in this case, we're actually looking for someone to JV with. You know, we know other wholesalers. One time we had something in Florida. Mm. Um, we were able to make connections with another friend who introduced us to another wholesaler in Florida. And we said, well, we'll do, you know, a percentage split. You get the contract, just pay us out at the end. And we register our JV agreement with the title company and they pay us directly. Gotcha. Okay. Per- well, that's a, a perfect segue is what does that process look like? Because you said, you know, you're actually going to go through the title company. So just as a, like a summary, I don't know if there's like a one step through five or, you know, the five best steps to take to really build this process out for someone who's doing it who has done it before, but maybe there is something that they're missing that they could be tightening up on because they just, you know, you learn as you go. And I'm sure with all of your experience, you probably pinned down a much better process for setting up JVs. Like, do you mind sharing like just the, your, like if there's a checklist almost that you uh, utilize? So we first get our JV agreement in place. Maybe we're going to do a 35-65 split. We get 35%. We get that in place before they ever get any information about the lead. So once we have that signed by both parties and most wholesalers work with one or two title companies, they can tell us which title company it's going to be at. So they go, they get the contract. And in this case, where it's out of area, we have them get the contract because we may not have the right information. We don't maybe know the neighborhood and they're the best ones to get the contract because it's their area of expertise. So they get the contract, they give it to their title company. Our title person is speaking to their title person. Taylor Allen is calling their transaction coordinator and we're keeping, you know, They need to do an affidavit. There needs to be a probate. And we're just keeping an eye on it. And we're included in everything that comes from title. And when it's ready to close, title writes us a check. Nice. Is there um, a common time frame that all of this is actually done with them? Like, again, is there any like sort of red flags to be on the lookout for? And then again, is setting the expectation on time frame? Usually in a JV agreement, it happens within 24 to 48 hours. Again, they're calling that lead. They're setting up, they're getting them a price, they're getting a contract because we know if it's left too long, they go to somebody else. So they want this lead. They know somebody is motivated, so they're going to jump on it. But everything can move like in 24 hours. It doesn't take long at all. The clearing title and getting it closed may take a little bit longer, but (laughs) we get everything under contract pretty quick. Gotcha. Hey, if people have some unique situations where it, it may take a little bit more handholding to, <laughs> yeah. to get them closed out, but when you do, it's it's all uh, worth it. All right. Awesome. Yeah, no, that makes a, a lot more sense. Again, there's someone out here who is 
new to this completely or either has been doing this a little bit, uh, you know, done this a few times for themselves. I just always wonder if there's anything in terms of systems or processes that may be missing uh, that they weren't realizing or, you know, as you were doing it, go, hey, you know what? I actually have not been, you know, kind of structuring uh, my system that way. I'm a little bit curious, uh, you know, and again, I don't know if someone is new out there who is curious of this as well Is that 35 percentage split that you were talking about. Is that is that standard or, you know, is that just something that we're comfortable with as a company or you're comfortable with as a disposition manager? That's just what we've arrived at. When we're handing it out, they're doing all the work. They're title team is clearing title, they're getting the contract, it's more of a referral split. But when someone brings us a JV agreement, maybe they got a house under contract, but they don't have the ability to sell it because they're not sure what they're doing yet. Sometimes we do a 50-50 split because we have to, again, clear title, do the marketing, find the buyer, et cetera. Got it. Okay. So it's not set like that 35. No. Okay. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So that gives you some room to go, hey, if this is, you know, depending on where you're at with that particular deal and what you're responsible for, just like you mentioned, if you're the one responsible still for getting the contract and doing all the marketing, <laughs> 35 may sound a little bit low for all the work that you have to still still get, uh, still have to do actually on your end. Okay. Now, where does this play at? And I know I hear this a lot as uh, calls are coming in that we definitely, uh, you know, or, or from time to time, let me say that from time to time, you will get, you know, what we like to call our bird doggers, you know, someone that's just like, oh, I heard your ad on the, the radio. And I usually am already driving around and, and looking at properties. Uh, how do you typically handle that, you know, on the disposition side? Because we usually pass that over to you. We go, hey, we've got another, we've got a, uh, you know, someone calling in and, and, and sort of wanting to be a bird dog, you know, and look for properties for us. Uh, do you mind like touching on that just a, a bit? I don't know if that is going to end up coming up from anyone, but it may be something useful in terms of your process. We do turn those over to um, the acquisition managers. Lisa, one of our acquisition managers, she has built several relationships with bird doggers, which is great because they bring her the deals first. And we still have to assess every deal to make sure it's something that we can do. In those cases, sometimes the bird dogger has the contract. Sometimes they're like, I have this person that wants to sell. And so if they already have the contract, we do a JV agreement depending on what our past relationship is and where they are as a seller, it could be 35% split or a 50-50. But if we go get the contract ourselves and they just give us all the information, we may only pay $2,000. But we also write that into the contract and keep them informed of where the contract is, it's clearing title, and the title company pays them out at close. And again, you know, just so that there's like the referral side and then there's the JV and then there, uh, if you just have some sort of unique situation where a bird dog does bring you property, is it standard to, depending on where they're at in the contract, right? Like you said, if they bring you a contract, you, you might go JV, but in the case that they don't, do you operate more with, you know, flat fee payments to the bird dog or do you jump also into determining a split or a percentage? We're, we're getting the contract and they're just bringing us a property address or an owner's name. It's usually a flat fee because we're doing all the work. We're convincing the seller to sign the contract, to take our price. We're clearing title. We're marketing. He just brought us an address. Gotcha. And that's, he gets the flat fee uh, or she gets the flat fee 
if you actually do close. Okay. Got it. So it's not just, Hey, yeah, just call me anytime you want uh, and tell me random addresses and here's a flat fee payment. (laughs) No, if we don't make money, the bird dogger doesn't make money. Got it. That makes perfect sense. And again, because you're, there's still work involved on your side. All right. Yeah. This was a really great conversation. Just, you know, again, we started more like more or less with the basics of dispositions, but then, you know, what actually occurs if you were to get someone that is again, out of your area, out of your expertise and the ways that you can probably pivot on referral or JVs. And then, uh, you know, just so happens that as you are on radio and again, people are listening to you, you will attract a couple of, you know, bird doggers here or there that are going to say, well, hey, you know, I'm already driving around in my car and I've already, you know, I've heard your ad. Maybe if there's some potential for them to send you something, they're definitely going to at least, you know, call you and, um, you know, and try and see what, what they can get out of that, that particular conversation. Before we wrap, Chris, is there anything, um, you know, that you feel like maybe we didn't touch on, or uh, if there's any like lasting, you know, notes or, or gems, you know, if someone was listening to this, that they should comprehend about this process or this system um, that you'd like to leave them with. I really think that what I want to leave people with is every lead is cash. And whether it's getting the contract, referral, JV, you need to work those leads to the maximum potential. And I feel sometimes that people just dismiss things. Oh, it's a retail lead. It's not in a good neighborhood. People like bad neighborhoods sometimes. Yeah. You never I know. Mean, you actually, you can end up with a, a buyer's list, like a section of, <laughs> you know, your typical buyers that actually really are, have no problem with quote unquote bad neighborhoods or a neighborhood that is a little bit further out or, or sellers with certain specific situations or even a buyer's list where they're okay with even um, a sticky tenant situation. Yes. I always get frustrated when people just throw away leads. So that's what I'd like people to remember. Leads are cash. Yes. <laughs> you just don't want to make to miss any actual opportunities. With the radio, anything that's coming in from it is going to be highly motivated. Uh, you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you might have debted or trashed a lead thinking that you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. It, it's not really up my alley. Uh, even if it's slightly outside of your area or even slightly outside of your expertise, uh, you definitely want to make sure that you're taking advantage of everything that's possibly coming in um, off of you know your actual stations because those leads are going to be so motivated. You don't want to miss any opportunities there. And so that may Maybe playing with JV or reaching out to more agents and expanding your network there, whatever that may look like. You just don't want to miss any opportunities. Uh, with the program itself, like this comes up for students as they are hopping on stations for the first time. They run into a lot of situations where like, hey, I've never dealt with this or I've never thought uh, that this type of person or this type of scenario will come my way and I don't know what to do with it. And so I definitely like to make sure uh, that I work with students one-on-one just to really make sure that they're not missing any opportunities and help them find the best way to get the max out of it. So again, you know, it's still beneficial for them, even if it's outside of what they usually do and they're sort of limited, uh, that they don't 
actually miss out on that. So if you have been listening to the pod and and, and you found some really great gems here, uh, that is why we pulled uh, Krista on today. So I'm so grateful to have her. Of course, as usual, if you have any questions or if you're going, hey, I do think that you know the REI Radio 2.0 program might be up my alley. Again, or if you just have some questions you want to shoot over, feel free to go over to the website. So that's wholesellinginc.com. That's wholesellinginc.com forward slash REI radio. Thank you guys so much out there for listening as always. And we'll definitely catch you on the next podcast. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list, as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.